It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Wanna ball like the wizards? Yeah, you know what I mean. When I'm blowing on the net, girl showing shots for the team. I was in high school dreams. Now I'm almost looking clean. Teaching game like a dean. Coach all these girls to a ring. Hey guys, welcome to the Locked On Wizards podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host Troy Halliburton, and joining me on the other line, he, he's becoming the most frequent guest on the pod, Mr. <laughs> Osman Bank from Bullets Forever. How you doing today, Os? Hey man, I'm good, man. Thanks for having me back on. I love being on the love being on this podcast. So as many times as you want me here, I'm here. You know. Hey man, hey the, the people love it too. So we got to give the people what they want. <laughs> and I think that it was also very fitting to have you on the podcast uh, because I, I feel like you you, you and I uh, were receiving a little bit of vitriol and a little bit of text from Wizards Twitter for being critical of Bradley Bill as he scored 108 points over his last two games. And I wanted to just sit down and talk with you uh, to let the people know that we're not haters here. Like, you know, like, <laughs> I love Brad. I want to see Brad play well, right? But, you know, I, I think that there is a very uh, very distinct difference between the two 50-point games. And so when you look at the 53 points and the loss versus the Chicago Bulls versus the 55 points that he had yesterday in the loss versus the Milwaukee Bucks, I feel like that there was a very contrast uh, in, in, in those two games. And so I wanted to break down for for the Wizards Twitter to 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 let them know that you know we're not hating, but we I mean we got to call it like we see it, like we're just <laughs> observing what we see on the court. So first, what, what did you think about? Uh, first, let's let's talk about how amazing is it that Brad has scored 108 points over his last two games, and, and what do you think was the difference in the the the, the two uh, contests? I mean, look, you can't take anything away from what he's doing in terms of point production. I mean, that's, it's, I, I was in a conversation on Twitter today where it was kind of like, hey, it's easy because of how the Wizards play defense. There is, if it was that easy, uh, everybody would do it. Everyone <laughs> would do it. Exactly. It doesn't, so there's nothing easy about it. I think what this was the third time that someone had 53 or more back to back games. I think that's the status holding out there. Uh, so what he's doing is extremely difficult. What he's doing doesn't happen often at all and it's rare and it's 
you got to give him credit because that's just, you know, in that regard, you got to give him credit. There was a clear, uh, clear, like, difference between how he did it and in the context of which he did it between the two games. So, and I'm glad, like, I, I see, uh, I'm glad we have the opportunity to kind of clear that up because, like you said, you and I have been getting a lot of vitriol on Twitter. And look, it just comes with comes with talking talking basketball on Twitter. Uh, it it is what it is. I knew once Beal had that game. I wasn't on Twitter during the game. I knew once I saw what was happening. I was like, great, I'm gonna go on. I'm gonna have all these like all these ads saying, look look what he's doing now. What do you have to say now? And, and it's exactly what happened. So so it is good to kind of discuss this. What he did against Chicago. What Brad did against Chicago. Look, again, not taking anything away from the actual point production. Fifty three points is. Is, is a remarkable game. But what he did there was more volume scoring. And it was like he decided, hey, I'm going to dominate the ball. And I think the usage stat posted on Twitter a couple of days ago, there was a quarter where he had a 50% usage rate. There was another quarter we, where he was in the mid-40s. I think his usage rate for the entire game was 40%. So pretty much while he was in, he was the only one touching the basketball. He was, and it wasn't even where it was necessary for him to approach the game that way. He didn't have to do it, whereas in the Milwaukee game, I give him all the credit. I'm not going to criticize that performance at all. He had nine turnovers, I believe. That doesn't matter. They were playing the best team in the NBA. They were short, short-handed because Albert Bertans was out, and he's their second, second best scorer probably on the team right now. They were short-handed. They were undermanned against a better team, and the only way they were going to come back is with Brad doing what he did in that fourth quarter. So I'm not taking anything away from that. That was a special performance. It was a special offensive game. What he did was remarkable. He was playing going against double, triple teams. It was great basketball. What you want to see occasionally happen to someone like, like your franchise player. You want, him to, you want to see if they could do things like that, and he did. He proved it. The Chicago game was just, hey, I'm going to shoot the ball every time I want because that's what I want to do. And even the uh, Rui Hachimura had eight points, five rebounds, and an assist in the first quarter. I think he took two shots the rest of the game. So when Brad went full volume, he took the ball out of other people's hands who were playing well. And when people say, oh, this team stinks, the players around him are garbage, trash, what have you, okay, maybe, you know, they're not great. Clearly, this was a year of development. This was a year to find out what you have. But when guys are playing well, let them play well, you know? Yeah, I'm right there with you. And, uh, you know, I, I, I uh, said, I compared it. I said, you know, that was a, it was a Devin Booker special uh, you you had a funny joke. You said uh, you said, man, it's gonna suck when uh, Brad uh, takes off his mask and reveals like uh, that he's actually Kyrie Irving, like like a Scooby Doo. <laughs> Scooby Doo Wendy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the Scooby Doo. I I I died last when I saw that. But it's like the game that he played, man. Like he was dribbling the air out of the basketball. He didn't let anybody else touch the basketball. He didn't. He wasn't being inclusive. He wasn't being a good team player. Like I mean, he was. Just, he was playing. It was like it was like the quintessential hero ball game. And the thing is, like it. You know, when you're playing the Chicago Bulls, who are an inferior team, the, the Wizards. The Wizards have lost three games in a row coming out of All Star break. They're still have a better record than the Bulls. Like that. That <laughs> Chicago Bulls team is inferior. And so for him to come out there and let, you know, Ryan Archie Diacono, like, you know, like make him dribble the ball 30 times on one possession and, and for him to just jack up shot after shot after shot and not try to get his teammates involved, I thought that that was a bad basketball game. You know, and, and it's like sometimes like the 53 points, yes, you know, that, that's a lot of points, but I, I just don't think that he played a brand of basketball that was conducive to winning versus the Chicago Bulls. Now, as you said, though, Yesterday was a completely different uh, 
you know, uh, situation because, you know, I believe he went into the fourth quarter with only, like, what, 17 points or 19 points. So, you know, he was playing within the flow of the game, and the team was uh, the team was, was losing. They were, they were getting the brakes beat off of them again by the Bucks. But uh, Shabazz Napier actually got hot in that at the beginning of that fourth quarter. And so Brad came into the game, you know, with the team, you know, down, I think it was around, they, they were around the 10-point mark. And he, come, he comes back into the game. And, you know, I mean, he does what uh, all-stars and all-NBA and NBA superstars do. Like, he, he turned up. He scored within the flow of the offense. He was very decisive with his moves. Um, you know, his three-point shot was going down. He was, uh, you know, aggressive and attacking the rim. I mean, I can't, I can't say anything bad about the performance that he did yesterday. I thought that that was one of the better games that he's played this year. And, you know, obviously I would have loved if they would have won the game, but I think that Brad actually, you know, was making the right basketball plays. So, like, when you look at the last uh, possession, the last uh, shot at, of regulation, I thought that, you know, Brad made the correct basketball play by passing to a cutting Rui Hashimura. And, you know, Rui has had his struggles finishing at the rim, uh, especially around uh, when, when, when there is a big man there. Like, Rui has gotten uh, more shots uh, blocked this year than, than, than I would like for, mm-hmm. you know, your, your starting uh, power forward. But yeah. I think that this is a learning experience for him. And, you know, I, I would have loved to see Rui, you know, give a little, the little veteran, give a little head, head, head fake you know, get Robin Lopez yeah. up in the air. Like, if he would have gave Robin Lopez a head fake, he'd be going to the free throw line, and all he would have needed to do was knock down one free throw, and they would have won that, that game. Right. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I cannot fault Brad for making the, that play because he made the right basketball play. And, again, at the last play of uh, the overtime period, I thought that Brad came out. I mean, Milwaukee, they tried to trap him at half court. They threw, like, three bodies at him. And, you know, he made the correct basketball play again. He made a pocket pass to Shabazz, and Shabazz kicked it to Troy Brown for, uh, for an open look for three. That, like, that right. look is literally – looked like it was going in. And it went in and out. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, people in the arena thought that the stat was going down. And so, you know, and, and I think that that was another learning experience for Troy as well. And so when you look at what, 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 what the team, when they talked about having this growth and development season – uh, you know, a part of development is building winning habits. And so I think that when, when Bill comes out, like, it doesn't I, – I could take them losing games if they play the right way, if Bill plays the right way. If they if he comes out and he's aggressive and he gives it all he's got if – he, if they've been, if Bill has been playing like this, how he's played over the last 15 games the entirety of the season, I wouldn't have any criticism of Bill for, for, for this year. And so the only thing that I want – it doesn't matter if they win games or not. But if they come out and they play the right way, they build up good habits, and they allow their young players to get invaluable experience uh, when it comes to, you know, closing out NBA games. I think that that's what matters more than anything. So now, I-, I was impressed by yesterday, but, you know, I- I'm not going to stop being critical of Brad because, you know, first of all, somebody has to because, you know, the, he- he's, got it, he's got it good here in D.C., man. He's got it real good. He's got, he's it, got real it real good, good man. Like. Because any time he plays bad, nobody ever calls him out. And every time he plays good, everybody, you know, they, they, local media, they're shitting on everybody else for, for not yeah. praising Brad. So, yeah, when he, he, look, when he plays bad, it's his teammates' fault. When he plays good and they lose, it's his teammates' fault. So, when, yeah, so when does he actually lose? The only time he lost was the All-Star game, getting into the All-Star game. And, and since then, not even just him, 
like his agent, like, and you still got, you still have the team account talking about the All-Star game one month later, you know? So, so yeah, I mean, that's, like, that's, hey, that's, look, that's embarrassing, yeah, that, Oh, that is, that is. That's, that's a whole other topic. Um, but, like, yeah, kind of going back to, so in a year, this is a year of development, right? In a year of development, you have to also find out about Brad. Like, can he take that elite step? So right now he's second in the league in scoring. But forget the points. What we saw yesterday is what you want to see. Like, a, a top 10, top 15 player has to be able to have those type of performances occasionally. Has to be able to say, okay, we're playing a team that's, we're out, man, but I'm going to put the team on my back and carry them. And in doing so, he still made the right basketball plays. So while Rui didn't have his best game and while Troy didn't have his best game, those experiences, like Troy getting that opportunity from the corner, uh, Rui missing, at the, missing that layup uh, at the end of regulation, but then immediately turning, da- turning around and being willing to shoot an open three when Brad kicked it out of out them at the beginning of overtime, that's a great learning experience, and that's the development you want to see during – this type of season. That's when you're going to find out about what you have and like in a real basketball type of scenario, not like uh, an absurd game that we typically play. Like in a real game, those are the things that will translate if the Wizards are, if this group or part of this group is going to take the eventual next step. So it's not like being, it is being critical. It's, being, it's critiquing Brad. It's not saying that he's terrible. Like, you know, that's not what we're doing, what I've been doing. But, and, and I'll kind of go back to it. Before the All-Star break, when he, uh, like, after he got snubbed, uh, arguably, he went, they, the Wizards went 5-2. and two. In those games, he shot a lot. He shot 24 times a game, but he also had 5 and 5.4 assists per game. Like, his plus-minus was 9.1 over that seven-game stretch. His usage, usage was about 36%, which is still a high usage. But, like, there were no complaints. No one really complained during that seven-game stretch, and they went into the All-Star game with the momentum. Since then, like, yesterday's game was great. Again, anyone listening, do not take it's the wrong way. No one is complaining about how he played against Milwaukee. And that is, if he could keep, if he could just continue those habits, that is fantastic. But the two games, but if you take these three games in totality, they're 0-3, his plus minus negative 8.2. He is, uh, he is taking almost 30 shots a game, and he's only averaging 2.7 assists per game over these three games. So, yes, he played great against Milwaukee, but against Cleveland and against Chicago, yeah, his points were there, but he did not play – a style that's conducive to any sustainable success. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I can't disagree with anything that you just said, especially when you, you know, you pull the receipts and you and you lay out the, the, the facts <laughs> like you just did. But um, I think that, that there's something very interesting with, with what you said, because before the All-Star break, you know, the Wizards had, you know, they, they went five and, five and two over their previous seven games. And, you know, they, they, were, they, they were playing, you know, some competitive basketball. And they were, you know, really coming out and, and competing against a, 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 a slew of teams. You know, some of those teams were really bad. You know, they beat up on uh, the Knicks and, you know, the Bulls, even though they just lost to the Bulls. But, you know, they, they, they came out and they took care of business against some teams that they should have. And, you know, I feel like they gave uh, uh, the Wizards Twitter, they gave, you know, people some hope that, you know, that they were going to make the playoffs. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to be critical of other people who, like, try to poo-poo that. But I want to say that, first of all, Bradley Bill was the one who said, I, I'm not worried about, you know, all-star. I'm about to lead my team to the playoffs. So, right. like, this is, this is a conversation that, you know, that we didn't start, that Brad started this conversation. And so I think that, you know, that that, that, that has to be uh, noted that, you know, okay, Brad 
Brad has has put the team in this position, but he hasn't really. He, he's he's walk. He's talking the talk, but not quite walking the walk right now. And so I, I want to take a quick break right now, and I, I want to uh, on the other side. I want to actually sit down and try to evaluate what the realistic uh, chances are of the Wizards making the playoffs are. <laughs> the NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, now, Oz, so before the All-Star break, you know, like I said, Brad was the one who, who you know, put, put, put this battery in Wizards fans' back that, you know, that they could possibly make the playoffs. And if you are looking at the standings, I mean, that wasn't far-fetched. It, it was something that was, you know, like that, that was literally, you know, within grasp. And so, and when you look at their performance coming out of the All-Star break, you know, losing those first two games – to Cleveland and Chicago, you know, th- those were backbreaker losses, especially the Cleveland loss. You know, when they, they just fired their coach. Like, they, they, they're, they're right. coming out here. They, their best player is Colin Sexton. Like, like, that, like this, there was, it was a home game was, for the Wizards. Like, there was no way that they could come out of the All-Star break and lose that game and play the way they did. So I, I just want to know, what, what did you think about the, 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 the team – first saying that they could possibly make the playoffs and then them coming out and laying uh, three goose eggs out of the all-star break. Yeah, I think, I think the playoffs becoming a thing was unnecessary. But, like, look, again, the standings are where they are. Once they got to the ninth seed, once Brad said what he said, and once they got to the ninth seed, it was going to become a topic of discussion. So people, people naturally were like, oh, hey, you know. So, and the thing is, it's not as though they played Milwaukee right out of the gate. They played, like you said, two very winnable games, Cleveland fired their coach. They're just like, yeah, they're they're just not a good team. And Chicago was on a what a seven game losing streak. Uh, Jim Boylan is calling timeouts when they're down twenty with thirty seconds left, and Zach Levine clearly hates the guy. And then you go there, and then you let Chicago just absolutely run you out of the gym. So I mean, they already had one of the toughest strengths of schedule after the All Star game. They lost two two of their quote unquote winnable games, and now they're gonna head out west soon. So, uh, you know, like, the chances were remote early on, like, even before we got to this point now, or before, like, they came out of the All-Star break. Now I would say it's just, you know, more probably, like, time to probably watch the where they stand in the lottery standings versus kind of where they stand in the East. Yes, they're technically ninth, but, you know, th- their schedule coming up is really tough. So you want to see positive things, but it kind of goes back to the Milwaukee game. You just want to see positive things. If they win, that's great. If they lose, Okay, but you just want to see like positive basketball for the, like for the remaining twenty six or so games that they have. That's that's kind of where I'm at at least. The, uh, like I just don't think the playoffs the playoffs are very realistic at this point unless the teams ahead of them just completely implode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, shoot, man, Brooklyn, they you know they're missing Kyrie Irving and they're kind of kind of you know uh, torpedoing down the standards right now. Yeah, so, and they play tomorrow, know, so exactly. Gonna, and they, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if they want to have any shot, like tomorrow will be the game. 
But from a realistic standpoint, you know, I, I, I'm a realist, but, you know, I, I, I know that I, I fancy myself as a wizard's optimist, and I can be as optimistic as I want. But when you look at, you know, uh, some of these prediction, uh, predictor models, like 538, and you look at the wizard's strength of schedule, you know, it, it's going to be extremely tough for them to, to try to climb uh, back into that, into that playoff race or, you know, climb into that eight seed. And so I don't think that that's a realistic possibility. But at the same time, like I said, this is, if this season is about development, then winning habits have to be a part of that. And so, you know, when you have, you know, these guys, when you have you know, Rui Hashimura and Davis Bertans and, 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 you know, Thomas Bryan and Mo Wagner and, like, all of these guys who, you know, these young guys, these guys are, you know, uh, uh, 22 and younger on the team, Jerome Robinson, like, all of these guys, like, we have to see what we have in them. And the only way we can see is if we put them in positions that, you know, it, it, it's either win or lose, you know. Right. And I, I honestly feel like um, – uh, Brad has to take uh, more of a leadership stance with his team that, you know, he, he's got to have more nights like he did last night where he's coming out and playing the right way but also putting the team on his back at the same time. It's like I know it's tough. It, it seems like, you know, like, like, like we're asking the guy to, to be perfect, but it's like if you want to be that caliber of player, if you want to be an all-NBA player, if you want to be an NBA superstar, you know, these are the type of – performances that you have to put forth on a consistent basis and so I, I don't think that it's it's too much to ask for uh for for him to play at a certain level on a regular basis and you know i i also believe that you know he, he has to he has to do a good job of getting the most out of his teammates and so you know i really want to see how he's able to lead and how he's able to bring along you know some of these younger guys yeah, no, I, I agree. And look, even the, the, the stretch that we're citing as a positive when they went five and two before the all-star break, he still shot 24 times a game. So we're not saying don't shoot. We're not saying go out and we're not saying don't go out and get 30 every game. Go out and get 30 because he averaged 30, 32 points a game over that five and two stretch. So we're saying you can shoot 24 times a game. You can average 30 points a game, but just make sure to keep your teammates involved. And look, even during that stretch, he had a 36% usage rate, which People are, you know, I've, I, when I've talked about some of these, like the Kyrie comments here or there, or that he's, you know, being too ball dominant, people are like, oh, he's playing John Wall basketball. Just for, like, context, John Wall's usage rate, like, throughout his all-star years was always in the high 28, 29% rate, never 36.5 or mid-30. So it's inaccurate to say, oh, this is John Wall type. This is higher usage higher just you know higher volume than anything that we've seen in Washington recently maybe I'd have to go back and see what the Gill days were like but you know probably since back then so we're not saying don't be heavy usage or you know we're not saying that but just remember the teammates and I like and one team in particular that you know I you and I've been talking about and kind of been impressed with most of the season is Rui so Rui pre-injury was getting 12 and a half shots a game post-injury he's been playing better his shooting percentages are up. He's at like 49% from the field versus 48 before the injury. His three-point shooting is up to 38.5% versus 20%. So he is playing He is playing more efficient basketball than he did uh, pre-injury, and he's playing about the same amount of minutes. But his field goal attempts are down from 12.5 to 10.6. So, like, in that case, like, we've seen this issue before, and, like, you know, so we're not trying to rehash old discussions. But like the ball has to, the ball has to be distributed better. Like long term, like lo- long term, it has to go to more than just one or two players. 
because we've seen that formula failure before. Now, I've also, I think I've been too, a little too critical of Brad in one sense. This being the face of the franchise, this kind of being the guy, is even though he's an eight-year eight pro, this is new to him. He hasn't really been that while Wall was here, and Wall hasn't been, like, wasn't out completely until the middle of last year. So this is his first full season where he is the face of the franchise. He is the guy. So in that sense, I do admit probably some air, like, uh, like probably I've been unfair at times because there is going to be, it's a year of development. There's probably a year of development for him learning how to play that role. Like, you know, and he just has to kind of figure out, I think, over these last 25 games, when to go for 40 or 50 and when to kind of be fine being at 30 and going for like maybe seven or eight to 10 assists or something like that. And maybe there's a bit of a learning curve there. But that's what I'm looking for the rest of the season. I don't want to see games like the Cleveland game where they're winning and he decides, hey, I'm going to take over. You don't need to take over then. You needed to take over against Milwaukee, and you did. And you're getting all praise for that, which is great. But you didn't have to against Cleveland. So that's what I want to see him figure out the rest of the way. Yeah, no, you're right because, you know, they they came out. I thought they were going to beat the brakes off of Cleveland Friday night. And, you know, they were up big in the first quarter. And you know they they came out and 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 you know they the Cleveland just took it to them. Colin Sexton really outdueled Brad in the second half of that game. That that sounds crazy to say, but it happened. But I think that you know Brad has to work on you know making sure that like while like like you said that he is getting his shots and you know that he he is coming out and being the dominant player that he is. But he has to also get everybody else involved. But you know I, I think that. You know, Brad, like you said, this is a learning experience for him, but Brad's not the only leader within that uh, team and within that locker room. So I want to take a, a, another quick break, and on the other side, I, I, I want to have a, a, a short discussion on Scott Brooks and what you thought about his job over the last couple of games and, and, and try to project for the future to see, you know, is, is he the right coach for this team to be able to grow in the future? Like I said, but we'll take a break, and, and on the other side of that, we'll, we'll have a, a nice, uh, healthy discussion about Scott Brooks. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up-to-date. Locked On NBA. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, now, Oz, man. This is I. I, I come. I come back out of the break, man. I just have to sigh because. You know, I, I we have to have this conversation. You know, I hate I hate being the bad guy here, but there there are some things that I'm noticing with Scott Brooks and his head coaching tendencies that I don't like, and I, I just I just really really I, I just I need to vent to somebody. So you're the perfect guy to to you know like sit here and talk. Like there, you know, I'm here to listen. There, I'm here to listen too. Go ahead, Ben. Yeah, <laughs> man. There's some things that that Scott Brooks that that he's been doing. Like, and, and it's not surprising to me because you know we, we we've all been watching Scott coach for the last few years. But this guy, like, like I, I had a tweet the other day when I and I said, and I try to be as respectful as possible because 
you know, like number one, I mean, shit, I got to go down there and see the guy <laughs> like on a regular basis. And I'm almost positive that he has a burner account because he's always talking about, oh, Twitter this or Twitter that or go tweet this. I'm like, yo, this dude's got a burner. I know he does. I just, I know it in my bones. But, so, you know, what I said, like, you know, Scott Brooks, is a, he's a great guy. He's a leader of men. He knows basketball. But his in-game decision-making when it comes to rotations or calling timeouts or X's and O's, I mean, he's lacking. Like, he just he just doesn't – He like, really, I think that he just sits on his hands so much. And when you look at a guy like – who uh, guys who I think that are great NBA coaches right now, you know, you look at a guy like, like Nick Nurse or Brad Stevens or these other guys, mm-hmm. these up-and-coming young coaches, they they don't they're not committed to any one playing style at all. They're not committed to one set of rotation at all. Like it can like it can literally switch on any given night. Like Brad Stevens, he might come into a night. He might be like, oh, uh, Daniel Thice, he's just not playing tonight. I don't like the matchup. You know what I'm saying? Like, or if he sees something that he likes in the game, he'll throw Thice out there. He'll mm-hmm. he'll switch up his he'll switch up his rotations. He'll he'll call timeouts. He'll do like he just he just isn't rigid like Scott Brooks is. Scott Brooks, he starts coaching. He's like, okay, we have our game plan. All right, but, you know, he, then he starts coaching. As soon as the game plan goes awry, he just he doesn't he doesn't adjust. He never he and if he does adjust, it's not quick enough that you know that it's conducive for the team to win. So I'll give a couple of examples. So um, last night in last night's game, there was a play where the, uh, the game was in overtime. The game was tied up. Uh, you could clearly see Sebastian Napier and Brad who Napier had played the entire fourth quarter. You know, he's gassed. Brad, he had come in with about, you know, the nine-minute mark, eight-minute mark in the fourth quarter, but he had played, mm-hmm. you know, all those minutes in a row. He's completely gassed. Scott Brooks, is, they, they come up. They, I'm, I'm thinking Brad's dribbling because he's going to the bench because they're going to call a timeout. <laughs> Scott Brooks is standing on the sideline. He's just looking at Brad, lose his balance, fall down, turn the ball over. I'm like, yo, what are you doing? Like, you're, like, right, give him a break. Give, give him a rest. He's, he's a player. Stand- he should know these things. He's standing in front of the play. Like, I'm like, yo, what? Like, everybody who's ever watched a basketball game in their entire life knew that that was a timeout. Like, that was supposed to yeah. be a timeout. Like, I, I just don't – and it, it's just frustrating because it's just time and time after again that Scott Brooks just sits on his hands and he doesn't make the adjustment. He just – he just he's just so he, rigid. He, he seems indecisive when the game starts. Like, he's yeah. just stuck with what he planned before the game and indecisive from there. Exactly, and it's just frustrating to me, man. I, I'm sorry, I got went, went on a little bit of a rant there, but what I was like, am I am I crazy? Am I tripping here, or or am I seeing something that everybody else is seeing too? No, no, you're not. Um, look, Brooks, you have to give him credit for what they did in 2016, 2017. So that was obviously like their best season in decades, and he was the head coach, so he gets credit for that. Um. Since then, his like the last two seasons, he hasn't been very impressive. This season, look, it's tough because again, they weren't predicted to be or projected to be very good. So they're at twenty wins. I mean, pre All Star game, you had to say that they were a pleasant surprise. Like they weren't a disappointing team. They they were doing good things. Their offense was really good. So in that sense, on one hand, like yes, he has things that you could definitely critique and you could be unhappy with. But macro level overall, like the direction, you had to be pleased with. But then you come out and you lay, like, you, you want to see, look, growth is not going to be linear, but you want to see consistent, like, habits being formed or, or just kind of just improvements, general improvements. And then they immediately come back and 
they kind of go back to things that were just done poorly in the first half of the season. They they lost all momentum, like, in those those first two games out of the break. And, yes, they played tough against Milwaukee, but, like, totality, they're 0-3 since the All-Star break. All-Star break, and two of those games were winnable. And then, like, you routinely see just odd decisions. Like, okay, so Thomas Bryant is back, and you got to – it's a year of development. you got to find out what you have. You yeah. can't split three centers, like, two minutes between three centers. You can't do that. It's 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 uh it's damn near March. You can't have an eleven man yeah. rotation. Period. Like, yeah, yeah, you like, can't it's, have that. It's, it's it's March. You can't have an eleven man rotation. It's it like, you just it, make up a you have to make a decision. Like right, and that's where I think he struggles. He he struggles when he has to make a tough call and kind of look. He was the, he, look. He he kind of like a young guy. He could pick on once in a while. Like you know he he's fine. Like like you know there have been times where he was critical of guys who really weren't like major fixtures in the rotation. But with a vet. He just can't. He never has. He never has it in him to kind of just make a tough decision to make a tough call. So it would be on. It, look, it would suck for Jan because Jan Mahimi's finally playing the best basketball that he has in his four years here. But you can't play three centers, and you got to find out what you two have. So have that tough discussion with Jan and say, look, we just can't play you the second half of the season for these reasons. Or have that discussion. Don't split the minutes between all three. Or like even I guess going back to Beal in the Cleveland game when he's going shot happy. Pull him out and just say, hey, look, you know, let's let's change things up a little bit, you know. Don't pull him out and say, but just talk to him and be like, hey, let's make, change the approach a little bit, you know, you know, just mix up the lineup, do something to kind of get them out of where they were going that game. I mean, and he just yeah. routinely just won't do that. So, so my concern, so one of the concerns I have is like, look, it's great that Brad is doing kind of is, is being able to get to this level that he's doing. But what's going to happen when Wall comes back? Because he's a heavy usage guy and now Brad's a heavy usage guy. Is Brooks going to be the guy who tells his two-star max backcourt players that, hey, you guys need to kind of distribute the ball to your other teammates? Is he going to have it in him to say that? No. He's not going to say anything to them. He's going to say everything to, things to everyone else. So, oh, nor is he going to be able to get a system that I think balances things well within the entire, with the entire lineup. So I'm not optimistic long-term of what he's just – just of what he's going to do, because I don't think there are times where I think he needs to stand up and say something or stand up and make a decision, tough decision, and he won't make that tough decision. And then that doesn't even go to the X's and O's. The defense is a mess. And, look, personnel is an issue. Ultimately, they, they don't have the personnel to be a top defense or even a mediocre middle-of-the-back defense. But you see so many miscommunications, and that is coaching to me. Like, personnel is not coaching, but miscommunications, like multiple miscommunications throughout the game, that's coaching. If he can't, if you can't, if your defense is not something that your your players are picking up, then simplify it. Do something simple that you know that they're not going to make. If they're getting beat, they're getting beat because of ability rather than beat getting uh, beat because they're always in the wrong position. Yeah, I mean, like you said, man, the 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 X's and O's aspect of it, like the team being out of position on a constant basis, like I definitely think that that's coaching. And so, you know, Scott Brooks, in classic Scott Brooks fashion. You know, he he comes out. He calls the player soft, man. He's like, yeah, they they play soft. Like he's like, man, I don't know what's going on. I'm telling them to do something. They ain't doing it. They soft. Like it's just like I I don't know, man. Like and if they're soft, take them out. Whoever, if you think someone is on the court is being soft, take them out of the game. Well, you know, I I have theories on who he might have been talking about (laughs) and and why he didn't say anybody's particular because he has no problem calling out Troy Brown. Or, right. you know, he'll drop Troy Brown's name. He'll drop Thomas Bryant's name. He'll drop Moe's name. 
you know, but you know, he he won't call out Brad for doing, you know, not playing defense or and, and and you know what? I mean, if I was Scott Brooks, you know, knowing what how that organization is run, I probably wouldn't be calling out Brad for too much either. But yeah, you know, I, I think that there, there there's a way that he has to convey his message to Brad. He has to convey his message to the rest of the team in order for them to you know actually come out and, and try to put forth more effort. And so you know, I think that you know when you look at his tenure as coach. We've spent entirely too many games talking about effort since he's been the head coach of the Wizards. And, and I, I thought that he was supposed to be like, you know, this motivational guy, you know, supposed to be able to get the most out of his young players. And it, it really just doesn't seem like he, he's been able to connect with them to, to get the most out of them. Um, and, and so, I don't know. And then I also look at, from an X's and O's standpoint, like, Okay, when you when you look at Rui Hashimura and how he's been playing coming out of after his injury, and so when you look at some of these games where okay the Chicago game where he comes out he's hot in the first quarter, you know he got eight points quick points, and then he takes two shots the rest of the game. That's coaching. Like yeah. when you like when you have when you have your 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 star rookie player who they have literally every incentive in the world to have him be good to have to promote him, you know for for. For for not only for the development of the team, but for the team, so the team could make money and for marketing purposes, like call a play for the guy, like right, enable him like, to enable him to be something, you know? Ex- exactly. You can't have him come out, start out a game hot, and then take two shots for the rest of the game. Like you can't have your number one lottery draft pick take two shots for the last three quarters of the game. You just can't have it. That's coaching. No. Like and, and there, there's there's just stuff to like. I just – I really don't understand, like, why is Jerome Robinson playing over Troy Brown in four quarters of games? Like, he just got here two weeks ago. Like, Yeah, that's, he, a, that's he, a weird one because – so there was a game – it's just weird, like, uh, the, there's no rhyme or reason to it. There was a game I, before the All-Star game, I believe, where Jerome was here, and he wasn't – didn't even play that well the game, and he gave Jerome fourth quarter minutes. Then Jerome, I think, actually was scoring the basketball against Cleveland – and in that game, he doesn't play him late. So it's like the day you can't get buckets, and he's getting buckets, you don't put him in. And then a game, like his second game in, when he doesn't even know the system, doesn't know the players, he's taking, he takes Troy Brown out of the game. So there's no rhyme or reason to what he does at times with, some, with the substitution patterns. And it's just, you know, it's, it's got to be difficult for the players because you don't know, outside of a couple of guys, you don't really know where you stand on a, on a daily basis. And, again, I felt like, you know, some of it, with like a Rui type situation where he where he doesn't shoot in the fourth quarter against Cleveland, even though he's like seven for thirteen and he doesn't only gets two shots against Chicago the rest of the game. And some of that is clearly yes on the players. You have to make sure everyone stays involved. But yeah, at some point, if Brooks is watching this, he needs to call a play. He call needs to a do play. something it's other easy. than what they're doing. And he's yeah. the coach. Yeah, yeah, he needs to. Yeah, they 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 pay him uh, a few million dollars a year to coach. Like it's it's okay. Like. You know, like, I understand that, you know, that the NBA, they give the players a lot of freedom to be able to, you know, call their own offensive sets. But, you know, like, Scott Brooks, like, he can get up. He can make a – he can do a hand signal. He can do some run the, run the play for Rui. Get get Rui the ball at the high post, at the nail, or the foul line extended area, and, and let him get a couple shots up. Like, that's it. First of all, he should be looking for that anyway because the team is struggling to score the ball, and this is one of the most efficient scorers on the team. So let's 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 try to get him involved, and right. and then also when you think about the development aspect of it, like what are we doing here? Like you know, we, like when you and, and, like you say, Mahimi, I think Mahimi's played well this year. 
Like Mahimi, like that, he should be uh, uh, used on a, on the nights where okay, we're not playing Thomas Bryant on back to backs. Cool, Mahimi, right. let's go, get ready. Otherwise, we need to be seeing Mo and Thomas. Like this is like it, it just doesn't really make any sense. And as you said, there is no rhyme or reason to it. And I believe that that is is what's so increasingly frustrating when you watch Brooks and his coaching style. And so let, this is a tough question right now. What 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 do you think are the chances that Brooks uh, is going to be the coach beyond next year? Because I, I personally I, I I'm going out on the limb here. I'm I'm betting I'm betting a lot of money that he's going to coach <laughs> next year. You know, like yeah. that, that's just I know how this organization runs. I know how they they do things. Like he, they're not going to fire Scott Brooks this summer. That's not happening. So no, it, 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 yeah, Shepard was did say, I believe, over the All-Star break how he was encouraged by the Brooks the job that Brooks has done. So three games isn't going to change that, especially yeah. when one of them was like going toe-to-toe, toe-to-toe with Milwaukee. So he's going into his last year of his contract. What I'm not sure of is will they let him just play out the last year of his deal because the last time they had a lame-duck coach, Randy Whitman, they didn't make the playoffs. So this year their goal – I mean, next year their goal is clearly get Wall back, make it to the playoffs. So are they going to risk – are they going to risk having a lame duck coach in that type of year that they want to get to the postseason? I don't. I, if they pay attention to the recent history, maybe they won't. So does does like in our conversation? Is he going to be be here beyond next year? Is he going to get an extension before next season? That's a possibility, which I don't think any of us would be thrilled with. But they've kind of put themselves in this in this position by not really making a coaching change when they made a GM change. So, really, Brooks has to, like, I think we are going to have him beyond next year, and they really need him to just kind of, you know, take more by the horns, take more ownership, and be more, because there are going to be issues going forward. I mean, like I said, you have Beal accustomed to a higher usage, and to his credit, he's he's, earn, he's earning it. Like, he's not always playing the way that we want him to play, but he has assumed that responsibility. You're going to have Wallet, who comes in, at, uh, with who's always accustomed to having the ball in his hands. So what is going to happen next year? Because we've seen again the two guard combo. They like you know that they lost the, uh, they lost that game seven to Boston. They capped out when they were both healthy and kind of like you know healthy and as a combo playing real well together. They capped out in the second round uh, of the playoffs losing game seven to Isaiah Thomas. So those two together alone, yes, Brad is better now. He's better now than he was then. Wall I, is not going to be – look, who knows? But it's gonna, it would be hard to say that he's going to jump back to his 2016-2017 form. Even if you think optimistic, that's just asking a lot. So they have to extend beyond that whole backcourt formula. And is Brooks the guy to do that? Uh, it doesn't seem that way. And, I mean, so how is Brooks going to handle reincorporating Wall, adding – uh, another lottery pick who's going to need to play. So they're going to need they're going to need a lottery pick. They're going to they they need a three. They need a five possibly. They're gonna, whoever they draft is going to have to have some type of role, you know, short term and long term. They're going to need to just play. So he's going to be reincorporating Wall, adding a lottery pick. We don't know what they're going to do. I mean, they're probably going to have at least one trade or one free agent signing with the mid level exception over the summer. So how is Brooks going to handle what they have this year and then adding all those parts next year in what could be his lame duck year? It's just not a good formula or not a, you know, it's it's asking a lot and it's not something I'm too optimistic about, you know? Yeah, I'm not optimistic at all about it. And and so, you know, I, I was really just sitting here and I was thinking about, like, what you're saying about him being a lame duck coach. And then I started thinking about, 
you know, some of the things that they're weak at. And then I started thinking about, okay, like they need a great defensive guy. And, you know, they brought in uh, Mike Longobardi from, uh, you know, he, he used to coach with the, the Cleveland Cavaliers. He was on their 2016 championship team. But, I mean, I mean, if this is his resume as a defensive coach, like literally having one of the worst defensive teams in the history of the league, like I, I don't see, you know, him being a long-term solution there. And then when you also yeah. when you look at Scott Brooks's coaching staff, like I would say that he probably has one of the more inexperienced coaching staff in the NBA. You know that, that there isn't no there like there like let me say like hypothetical situation. Let's say they were to fire Scott Brooks tomorrow. Like who would be the interim head coach? Robert Pack? Like I right. I just don't really see that. So my thing is so what I think if I were Tommy Shepard. What I would do is I would go out and I would bring in a high-level, uh, you know, maybe even a former NBA coach, you know, a, a high-level assistant to, to be under Brooks's staff to not only shore up some of the weaknesses of the team because they clearly need uh, more uh, brain power in that coaching room, but this is also could be a guy with a potentially or, or guy or female, you know, I, I wouldn't mm-hmm. mind them bringing in Becky Hammond, you know, like, <laughs> But if if they got some, they got to bring somebody in to yeah. put pressure on Scott Brooks so that he knows that like because right now he knows that like yeah they can't fire him like they can't like they don't right. they don't even no have to... they don't even have an interim here so you know I, I think that I would love to see them go out and bring in a you know make a big offer to a Tyron Lue or somebody like that and have them come in that'll that'll put some pressure on Brooks for sure but you know to, and, and it'll also make the coaching staff stronger. So, but I, I think that you know that that that's a move that I could see Tommy Shepard making and then reevaluating it next year. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, Scott Brooks and and Tommy Shepard actually share an agent. So, you know, I I, I definitely don't see uh, I don't see him getting fired. Like, I just, <laughs> oh, hundred, yeah, he's he's definitely here next year. Yeah. I, it's, 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 the irony is the Wizards have tried that before. Um, Eddie Jordan, when he was the coach here, they had defensive issues. And I believe um, Ernie Grunfeld went out and got Tom Thibodeau. But like one week or so into Thibodeau, Eddie was never on board with it, it seemed like. So one week after kind of taking the job, Thibodeau basically resigned, just said the the fit wasn't right. Yeah, I'm guessing is because, yeah. So so it would have to be, you can do that. But yeah, it would be. I'm sure Brooks might be a little hesitant because he'd know exactly what's happening. So uh, you'd have to have him be more on board with it. And how do you do that? Maybe you say, okay, we'll talk about it, like adding maybe just one year to your deal, or giving at least a one year extension. But then these are the conditions by which you're going to do that. We'll give you an extension. We want you to upgrade your upgrade your staff. And maybe that's how to approach it. But something has to be done. The staff, as is, kind of even going back, they brought this, you know, uh, the, the defensive consultant uh, in or on and. Again, the miscommunications. I mean, if it's not Brooks, then it's him. One of them is messing up something. One of them is making the defense so complicated that the players can't execute a simple, simple switches. There are always miscommunications, always people in the wrong position. And, like, they just, yeah, they just can't. This staff isn't strong enough right now. Yeah, it's really not. When you you look at, you know, they brought in Dean Oliver, the analytics guru, 
I'm like, yo, but like, this, did, did he just did he just allow Isaiah Thomas to just be fielded in these lineups, that, or does he not have any power? Like, I just, like, does does he leave like post-it notes for Scott Brooks to just be like, yo, uh, yeah, I see he's killing us every night. Like, I don't, I just, I just don't know how those dynamics work within the uh, the, the the Wizards uh, coaching staff. And so, I mean, hey, you just brought up a name that you know Tom Thibodeau. He he's not he's not working. He's not doing anything right now. I'm sure. I'm sure he'd love to come in and 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 put Scott Brooks out. <laughs> but yeah, but like you said, though, it, this is a very uh, this is a very uh, uh, nuanced uh, dance that you know Tommy Shepard is going to have to work. But you know, this is part of the reason why um, you know they 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 pay him the big bucks too, and that's why he's right. the GM of the team. So you know, he he's going to have to make some tough decisions here. But you know, I, I don't think that he can just go into the off season with everything as is. You know, he's going to have to make some tangible changes and, and, and you know, just kind of hope for the best results here. Some changes there, and it's just like up to Shepard. How does he, like you said, how does he kind of handle that nuance of working with Brooks in his last year of his deal, but adding some, something to the staff or, or just even, like you said, empowering the people who are on the staff if they're not being empowered? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's going to be tough. So, you know, I, I think that I've, I've given him a lot of credit for a lot of the fringe moves that Tommy Shepard has made. But, you know, this is, a, you know, this coaching thing is, is this is almost just as important. Uh, you know, the decision they make with the coach, the coach and the coaching staff is almost just as important as hitting on your lottery picks. So, right. you know, I, I think that, you know, how he handles this will be something that, you know, we, we can all go back and, you know, kind of, kind of be able to critique and judge him more for for his tenure as GM. But and I think even, I think just even like I don't I'm not a bit, I'm not a Brooks fan, but I'd, I'd want to see them either do something with him or or extend him. I, the last thing I want to see is him come into the season as a lame duck coach, given kind of uh, given kind of the, the roster that we're anticipating next season. It's just not going to work in my opinion. So. Even if it's the wrong decision, just show that you can make a decision. Like this is, it's a tough decision for Shepard, but just make one. You know? Yeah, I, man. I don't know if if Taz is gonna be like, yeah, just 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 make a wrong decision. Let's just, <laughs> let's just start writing texts for people that that we don't believe. But I don't, hey, man, I don't know. About, I don't know if Taz is gonna be happy with that one. But I am with you on the sentiment of him having to make a decision. But uh, Oz, man, I, I want to thank you for, for for coming on, man. You, you brought the goods as always, uh, I, and you know I, I want to give you this time to go ahead and, and promote yourself and promote your work. You know, I, I love the piece that you did last week uh, on, on Jerome Robinson, and you know I think that Jerome Robinson is a, a very promising player. He's shown some flashes. I don't like him playing in front of Troy Brown, but you know <laughs> I, I think I think that you know the the the, the gamble of going out and getting the guy that they love pre-draft is, is something that, that can be very beneficial for this team. And, you know, obviously he's come in and the coaching staff believes in him, so they're giving him that opportunity. So you wrote a great piece uh, about that uh, last week. So, again, you know, go ahead, go ahead and promote that piece and promote anything else that you're working on here. So I did, I did a Q&A with Robert Flamo with 213 Hoops, who covers the Clippers. Just wanted to find out. They were, they were clearly high. The Wizards have been clearly high on Jerome Robinson since the draft. So I wanted to find out what really went wrong with him there. Uh, you know, we've seen Clippers game, but with Jerome only playing 700 or so minutes, there's only so much we could tell just by his stats because 700 minutes is really nothing in the context of, of NBA experience. So that piece was out there. I contributed to a piece today that, that was uh, published about 
I think we all acknowledge John Wall is not going to play this year, but just examining whether or not or our opinions on if that was that's the correct decision. Health aside, assuming all assuming all medicals are clear, he's 120 percent. You know, should he play or shouldn't he play any games this season? This season? So we had a piece out about that today. And then uh, before the also or during the All Star break, I had another piece out just about um, kind of how the team is is moving forward. They're kind of you know I think long term we don't know what direction they're going to go in, but they're going forward at least. And they have Shepard has begun to restock the cupboard that Ernie left pretty empty, like when he left here. So those have been the most recent pieces. Working on a couple others right now, but I did want to take the second just to clarify my Brad Beal take just once and for all for Twitter because I know they're not happy with it. I'm a fan of Brad Beal. I suggest not trading him. That doesn't mean I'm not going to be critical or critique like flaws in his game. Now, I understand that maybe I've been a little impatient in terms of him developing as a leader, but they're, they're good stats and there's good impact like yesterday and there's some empty stats. So I think he's got to find the right balance in terms of not just chasing points for games, but just find, like finding the right balance of when am I going to go and take over mode and when am I going to be a playmaker and a scorer. Like, and I think he just has to find that right balance. And because any scenario where this works, where this retool versus the complete teardown works, is going to come down to Brad B becoming an all-NBA caliber player. Yeah. No, hey, I, I'm right there with you, man, because honestly, man, it's so difficult to get your points out on Twitter. Like, it's so difficult to, you know, say, get your complete thoughts out there in 280 <laughs> characters. But – you know, the the way that you broke it down right now, I, I think that any sensible person can understand that and can relate to that. And so, you know, we, we just wanted to see the best for the team. So I, I'm glad that you were able to clarify that in this space. And you always have you know, the doors open for you to come and clarify anything that you need to. So. <laughs> but I appreciate it. I, I love being on the show, man. You're doing a great job. All right, man. Awesome, man. I greatly appreciate you coming on. Thanks again, man. And uh, ho- ho- hopefully we'll uh, – We'll be able to reconvene soon after a couple of wizard wins instead of them coming out and just laying goose eggs. <laughs> oh, man. Hopefully. <laughs> We'd love right, to see man. that. Chillin' back, giving advice. I buy my girl shit that don't matter the price. They see that I'm taking it, try getting fast. Label money, I just tell in advance. I ain't cheating, I'm just trying to dance. She just trying to have me up in the trance. I'm in a stroke like fucking. They just trying to make some bucks. Love when I slap down my ones, but it bounced like a ball when I struck it. So if you ever see a real nigga like me, just let them live and just be how it be. Go to the club with them two and you'll see. With a J, we'll be on the same team. I want a baller like the Wizards. Yeah, you know what I mean. When I'm blowing on the net. Girl, she went shot for the team. I was in high school with dreams. Now I'm almost looking clean. Teaching game like a dean. Coach all these girls to a ring. I want a baller like the Wizards. 
game, you know what I mean. When I'm blue, I'm on the net. Girl, she was shot for the team. I was in high school with dreams. Now I'm almost looking clean. Teaching game like a dean. Coach all these girls to a ring. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.